Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with your host, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Parthenia is a psychologist and certified natural health care practitioner who will show you alternative paths towards health with a holistic approach. Call in with your questions or comments at 888-235-7374. And now here's the host of Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Okay, uh, hello and good evening to you. Uh, Thank you for listening to our program tonight. As you all know, we're live on Tuesdays. And tonight is February 21, 2012. And hello to those of you listening to an Internet archive within a few minutes of the show close or rebroadcast some other time. Great you remembered our time. Yes, we are we air on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Blog Talk Radio. And there is a link on my website uh, for you to access the programs. Now you are listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard, here on Blog Talk Radio, obviously on the Internet. Now, um, to call into the program this evening, call 619-789-6835. That is 619-789-6835. Or you can send an instant message during the program uh, through the link on the Blog Talk Radio homepage. Now, to find the program without the link, um, you have to sign up for my newsletter or for general information, and you will get an e-card every Tuesday letting, letting you know who's going to be on the program live and who the rebroadcasts are going to be of. Now, uh, outside of that, if you don't have the e-card, you go to the Blog Talk Radio website, you enter my name, Parthenia Izard, or the name of the program, Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom, into the Blog Talk Radio search box, not your Google box, okay? And then any problems with any of the internet links, give me a call at 866-472-6094. That's 866-472-6094 after the program. Now, on this program, we discuss alternative medicine therapies, related products, and issues, and we do it with the experts. Only try the therapies shared here, however, after consulting with your physician. Now, last Tuesday, we were live with Shayapa Tenzin Rinpoche, author of Living Fully. Uh, If you missed that show, you can go to my website at www.amtherapies.com. Click on the radio link to hear that program. It will take you to the Blog Talk Radio website. For appointments with me, that's face-to-face or remote. And for general information, call 866-472-6094. Again, that's 866-472-6094. Now, I want to give you a heads up, February 28, 2012, next Tuesday, we will be live with David Fairfield, author of Deep Happy, How to Get There and Always Get Back. Now, remember, you can purchase the book I co-authored, 101 Great Ways to Improve Your Health, on my site. Visit www.amtherapies.com to make that wonderful resource a gift to yourself and or a friend. You can also follow me on Twitter, Alternative Medi. And don't forget New Skin Supplements and Beauty Products, where beauty and wellness meet technology. 
Now, tonight I'm going to be speaking with Kathleen McHugh, author on author of How to Help Children Through a Parent's Serious Illness, Supportive Practical Advice from a Leading Child Life Specialist. And at the end of tonight's program, we will discuss the herb wild cherry and the asana supta virasana. Now it's time for our wellness news. ScienceDaily.com, and this one is entitled Rainforest Plant Combats Multi-Resistant Bacterial Strains. Now, this came out uh, from Science Daily February 20, 2012. Uh, aggressive infections in hospitals are an increasing health problem worldwide. The development of bacterial resistance is alarming. Uh, now, a young Danish scientist has found a natural substance in a Chilean rainforest plant that effectively supports the effect of traditional treatment with antibiotics. Ph.D. Jeskin Haller from the University of Copenhagen discovered in a research project a compound that targets a particular resistance mechanism in yellow staphylococci. Now, the development of resistance in these specific bacteria is extremely rapid. Bacterial strains that do not respond to treatment have already been, already been found in the USA and Greece. Quote, I've discovered a natural substance in a Chilean avocado plant that is active in combination treatment with traditional antibiotics. Resistant bacteria have an efflux pump in their bacterial membrane that efficiently pumps out antibiotics as soon as they have gained access. The identified natural substance inhibits the pumping action so that the bacteria's defense mechanisms are broken down and the antibiotic treatment allowed to work, end quote, explains Jesgitz Holler. Now, Jesgitz Holler gathered specimens of the plant, which comes from the uh, Persea family in Chile, where the Mapuche people use the leaves of the avocado plant to heal wounds. The results have been published in the Journal of Antimicrobial Chemotherapy. Synthetic chemistry for sustainable production, the so-called MIC value, is the lowest possible concentration of an antibiotic in, in that inhibits the bacterial growth. Now, with this compound from the medicine chest of the Mapuche people, uh, Jezgitaler can lower the MIC value by at least eight times. Quote, the natural compound has great potential and perhaps in the longer term can help develop, can be developed into an effective drug to combat resistant staphylococci. Now, at this time, there are no products on the market that target the same efflux inhibitor mechanism. We want to improve the active substance using synthetic chemistry in the laboratory. That will also ensure sustainable production of a potential drug while protecting rainforest plants, end quote, continues Jez Gets Holler. Now, Jess Gatoller emphasizes that a commercial product will benefit the Mapuche people. At present, there is a written agreement between the, between the Faculty of Health and Medical Sciences and the representatives of the Mapuche people, Alfonso Guzman, Ph.D., who helped procure the, medical, the plant material. Bacteria, bacteria are winning the race. Yellow Staphylococcus 
Staphylococcus aureus is the most common cause of infection and wounds from an operation. However, the bacteria can be the cause of many diseases from abscesses and food poisoning to life-threatening infections such as infective endocarditis and sepsis. The bacteria have been a major problem in hospital worldwide hospitals worldwide since the 1940s. And up to now, the drug industry has managed to develop new antibiotics in step with the increasingly aggressive behavior of the bacteria. Unfortunately, that development appears to be turning. Quote, for all intents and purposes, the drug industry, industry is not pursuing research into new antibiotics. It is simply too expensive relative to possible earnings, and there is more money in drugs to treat chronic diseases such as diabetes. Therefore, the bacteria are winning the race. Resistance increases, and treatment options are scarce. Research will have to find new paths, and natural substances are one of them. End quote. Emphasizes Jez Gitzholler. Okay, now, we're getting ready to go to break. Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures. Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies for an initial consultation. Alternative Medicine Therapies offers a holistic approach to preventive care, unlike conventional medicine that tries to correct the illness that exists instead of preventing it altogether. Don't let anyone tell you that your situation is hopeless. Alternative Medicine Therapies like Iridology, Kinesiology, Reflexology, Energy Medicine, which includes Chi Life Therapy, Acupressure, and Psychological Consultations has an amazing track record of positive results. Why suffer when Alternative Medicine Therapies with Parthenia Izzard is here to help? Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies today for an initial consultation and visit their website at www.amtherapies.com. Or call 610-658-0135. Alternative Medicine Therapies. here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, now, I want to remind you that you go to my website, www.amtherapies.com, and you can preview and purchase the book I co-authored called 101 Great Ways to Improve Your Health. My chapter is Naturopathy. Uh, now, this evening, again, we're going to be talking with Kathleen McHugh, author of How to Help Children Through a Parent's Serious Illness. And she's providing supportive, practical advice from a leading child as a leading child life specialist. Now, um, Kathleen McHugh, M-A-C-C-L-S, created a pioneering program aimed at helping children through a parent's medical crisis. Now, when she was a a child life director for the Cleveland uh, Clinic Foundation, Oh, she did this when she was a child life director for the Cleveland Clinic Foundation. Now, since 2000, she has been director of children's programs at the Gathering Place, Cleveland's community-based support center for families fighting cancer. She has appeared on the Today Show and Sunday Today, among other national outlets, sharing her wisdom with families in need. Good evening, Kathleen McHugh. How are you? I'm just great, thank you. Good evening to you. You know, it, it's it's such a um, you know a, a sad topic, um, 
but yet a very necessary one. And I thought it was certainly one that we needed to um, touch on and share uh, this evening. Um, before we get started, can you just give us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you, what life was like growing up, wherever you were growing up, and uh, how you got interested in this, uh, you know, caring about other people and helping them, helping to take care of them. Wow, that's that's a big question. Um, I I grew up as a, a, de- a military dependent. My father was in the Navy, so we traveled all over the world basically as I was growing up. I um, went to four different high schools on three different continents. So um, I think I just was exposed to so many different environments, so many different types of people, so many different um ways that people dealt with crises in their lives that I always had this urge to be of help if I could and to and to assist people in facing difficult things and I I think always for any of us I went to graduate school in psychology and I um I think for all of us who did that there's probably some component of healing ourselves in that process looking at our own lives and making peace with anything that didn't seem quite finished at that time, so I think that was probably a part of it for me too. But um, once I started into graduate school, I knew I wanted to work with children. I had volunteered and done part-time jobs as a student with children my entire life, and I um, discovered that I was fascinated by working with children who were in hospitals, but not children who were, well, at that time it was children who were actually ill, but not children who were physically ill, but children's emotional and psychological reactions to their healthcare experience. Um, I really realized that we were not addressing the whole child when we were in a hospital setting, that children became patients that didn't have an identity of their own, and that seemed wrong to me. So I enjoyed the field of child life as one that helps children adapt psychologically and emotionally to a hospital setting or really any stressful setting they find themselves in, and I found that that was the career for me. So I've been doing that for a long time. And then I started working at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation and discovered for the very first time, it seems pretty obvious probably to everyone listening, but I had never really thought about the children of sick adults. I had only worked with sick children. So I um, all of a sudden became aware that there were these children in a hospital environment that were absolutely invisible to most people. They weren't getting any services. They were afraid their parent or other loved one were ill. They didn't know how to handle it. And all of a sudden I realized this was a population that was just so underserved. And that led to what I'm doing now. Well, now, how did your co is he considered a co-author, Ron? Co-author, yeah. Yes. How did the two of you connect and then end up, you know, writing this book together? It was just an interesting um, synchrony, I think. Ron was a producer for NBC, and NBC decided to come and do um, a summary of the program that we did for the children of adults back in the 80s, a long time ago, and um, to to cover it, and then eventually it ended up being a connection to the Today Show and the Sunday Today Show. And um, Ron spent three days with me and basically followed me around and with permission of families watched the work that I did, and he was pretty blown away. He said he'd never thought about children when he thought about sick adults, and then his last comment on leaving after the filming was, you really should write all this up. This is very new stuff. And I remember saying to him, oh, yeah, yeah, someday I will. I think that'd be good. And knowing that I probably never would make the time to do that. 
and um, he kept bugging me. He called a couple of times, and finally he said, this is so important. It really needs to be written. Families, only a very few families have access to you, but families all over the country are dealing with um, an illness and with children being impacted. And he finally convinced me that we should make the time to do it, and, and we did. And it was truly a labor of love for both of us, him discovering something brand new and me realizing that the work that I did wasn't limited to just the hospital where I worked or the center where I worked, but could have farther reaches, probably exactly like the work that you do when in the book that you've written. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, and uh, so many times we have no idea how many people we reach and how many people we affect through the words that we put to paper. Um, out of curiosity, now this this is a sort of a side uh, curiosity. How do two okay. people write a book? Um, we we did a lot of interviewing. We basically it was it was an interesting process. Basically, he. Um, we would talk on the phone for hours at a time, and he would ask me questions about the work that I did. And, and because he had observed for quite a period of time, he would talk about the things that he noticed and ask where that fit into the overall program. And we ended up realizing that in order to be really helpful, this is meant, this book is a manual for families to use, and in order to make it that, we needed to group things by the kinds of stress points that families find themselves. What do you do at diagnosis if you have children? What do you do when your treatment is ongoing and your children are reacting to change? What do you do when you see worrisome behavior in your children? What do you do if you get bad news or if the disease progresses? Or what do you do ultimately if you're facing death? And and so we realized that not everybody would want to read about all of that. People would want to read about what affected their family at that time. So that's what we did. We we kind of divided the book that way. And then he lived in New Jersey at that time, and I was here in Ohio. And I would fly out for a weekend. I'd work for the week and then fly out there for the weekend. And we would just sit and tape record and talk and write for the full weekend until we couldn't stand it anymore almost. <laughs> and, then, and then we would stop and I would go back to work and he would go back to his career. And um, then a few weeks later he would send me a summary of what we had done and then we would do it again yes. over and over until um, until it was complete. At that point we knew who was going to publish it. St. Martin's Press had already contracted to publish the book. So we were just now trying to put it together and make sense out of all the material and make it helpful. That was the goal, to make it really helpful to people. Well, now, um, why don't we start out with what is simplistically the difference between the first and second edition. And then what I'd like to do is really I, I want to read the headings for the different chapters. I know there are 13, but I want to give people an idea of what you cover here because you cover my goodness, you cover pretty much everything I could imagine, including um, children of uh, parents with mental illness, which I was especially right. happy to see uh, was included there. So why don't you start out with that difference between the two editions? Well, the first edition was done 16 years ago, mm-hmm. and the world has certainly changed in 16 years. And we felt like we, first of all, 
I continued working during that time and continued to have new insights into the work and the way children respond to these kinds of crises in their lives. And then the world has changed and new things have come in. So there, what we did with the second edition was we added five new chapters, and those chapters reflect the changes in the world. For example, the Internet. There wasn't even hardly an Internet back then. Now children are all the time you know, on the Internet looking up words, communicating through Facebook with their friends, talking about their needs and their concerns, and there's just a whole lot of options, good and bad. So I don't know if anybody listening has ever tried to just put an, a diagnosed illness into the computer and see how many sites there are, but for breast cancer alone there are literally millions of sites that that talk about breast cancer. So where do you even start, you know? And certainly if a child does that, if a 13-year-old or a 12-year-old hears that mom has breast cancer, maybe doesn't even hear directly, but hears from someone else and then decides to investigate on his own or her own, uh-huh. oh, my gosh, the information is just really scary. So, so we have a chapter on the Internet. The, the American family, unfortunately, in many ways, has has often become a single parent raising children. For a while, it was mostly moms raising children. Now there are a lot of dads and grandparents raising children. So, so we needed to really address what do you do if you're a single person, a single parent, or even a grandparent, and you get sick. How do you help the children when you're the one person that they can count on in the world to take care of them? And conversely, what happens if you're divorced or separated and your spouse, who isn't very involved in the child's life, gets sick? What do you do then in terms of your child's needs? So, so it was just it was a there have been a lot of changes, very complex, and and we really wanted to begin to address those. And I'm glad you brought up the issue of mental health because we did really expand addressing special situations and and the mental health situation is certainly one of those it it you know we didn't we barely mentioned in our first edition of this book the issues about a parent with a mental illness and how it impacts children and you know here i come from a mental health background and i'm not addressing what is probably one of the most difficult things for a child to manage is a a parent with a substance abuse problem a parent with a a diagnosable serious mental illness or even a parent parent with chronic lower grade depression all of those things impact a child so we really wanted to we really wanted to bring that out of the closet so to speak and and give families a chance to take a look those issues. So those are some of the reasons the world has changed, and I think our awareness has changed about what children need and how they react. Very good. Okay, here we go. Uh, Chapter 1, the first day of the rest of your life. Uh, Chapter 2, getting it together. Chapter 3, early warnings. Chapter 4, help, how to give it, where to get it. 5, the wonderful, terrible, Internet. Six, preparing children for hospital visits. Seven, coming home. Eight, chronic illness, when it won't get better. Uh, Nine, dealing with a parent's mental illness. Ten, when things get very bad. Eleven, children and trauma. Twelve, single parenting, multiple households. Thirteen, genetic diseases. No, but dot, 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 Uh, and then in Chapter 14, some other special situations, and Chapter 15, Emily's Hero. 
and then there's an epilogue, acknowledgments, and an index. So why don't you walk us through this? I know we're not going to cover everything, but that's not even my intention. I just really want to give people a good idea of what they can expect in the text. And obviously, there's no reason why they shouldn't, uh, well, they could conceivably purchase both both books because of so much that's changed. If they've already gotten the first book, they should go ahead and get the second. But anyway, let's let's go with the first day of the rest of your life. What what is your um, what are you covering there, and what is your objective? So what we address there is the reality that when a parent, and I I guess I I just want to appeal to all those people out there that might be listening tonight to this show and thinking about when they heard that they had an illness. You know, if if you're a parent and you have children and you hear that you have something significantly wrong, whether it's heart disease or, um, you know, a, a, an aneurysm that needs to be repaired or cancer or whatever you hear, one of the first things that's going to come to your mind is, but my children. Well, how am I going to help my children understand this? What are, you know, what should I tell them? I, maybe I won't tell them anything. I don't want to worry them. I mean, all of those things go through a, a parent's mind. It right after kind of the awareness that you're sick, the first thing that all of you parents, I bet, thought of is. But my kids, what am I going to do about the needs of my children? And that's really why we wrote the book, and that's what we want people to know there there is a way to address. Um, and that is, we, and the next thing a parent might think of is, oh, my gosh, I don't want my children to worry. Maybe I just won't tell them anything. I'll just wait till they ask, or I'll just, I'll just kind of, just make it really little and light and, and kind of say just a little problem, just a little health problem that's going to be just fine. Well, oh, I guess what we want to say in that first chapter is please don't do that. Please remember that your children are part of your family and they're affected by everything that happens in their family and they have amazing radar. Children know when something is wrong. They may not know what. They may not know what questions to ask, but they know when something is wrong. So so the whole first chapter is about really helping parents realize, okay, you have these thoughts, you have these concerns about your kids. Here are the steps you need to take to make your plans for how you want to help your children. And the purpose of this book in many ways is to empower parents. It's not to tell them what to do. It's to tell them what children's needs are and let them fit those areas of need into what they already know about their families and their children. We stress in the first chapter that parents are the best experts on their own children. They're the ones who know which child is a little quiet, which child keeps things inside, which child has a high level of anxiety. They know those things. So so what we're doing is empowering parents to use the knowledge they already have to to really begin to figure out a way to sit down and address what's going on in the family so that children can come out of whatever happens healthy, whole, trusting, you know, in good shape to go on with their lives. Well, now, you talk about three things to tell your children, and you also talk about the three ages of childhood. Would you mind sort of elucidating on those two? For Absolutely, sure. So the, the things that children, once you start to have a conversation with children about an illness, the things that children wonder about most and that is, is most useful that they hear are, first of all, what is going on? What's the name of the illness? And it's okay to use the words. It's okay. It's scary, but it's okay to call cancer, cancer. It's 
okay to to identify daddy had a heart attack or mom had a stroke. You can say those things, and then you help children at the appropriate age level understand what those words mean. If you try to um, minimize the words that you use, if you try to, you know, use a euphemism, for example, so that so that families so that you don't scare your children because that's the goal for most parents is they just don't want to scare their children. But if you do that, then children don't have any frame of reference and they won't have any way to know that they're cold or whatever you know little their ear infection that they get isn't the same mm. as this crisis that you're going through, and it just worries them. They don't have the ability to name and identify what it is and learn how it's different from other things that can happen to people. So so the whole idea of maybe telling children, not maybe, but telling children in your own time, in your own speed, and when you're ready to, what's, what the disease is that you're facing and what the child needs to know, and that depends on the age and maturity of the child. So that's that's thing number one, tell children about kind of what the illness is. And then a couple of things that you want to really know that children worry about, that children of all ages worry about are, can I catch this disease? Mm-hmm. Is this a contagious disease? Am I going to get it too? Because children from about the age of three or four learn about don't cough in someone's face, you know, cover your face when you sneeze, don't eat, don't pick that candy up off the floor, <laughs> whatever, whatever a parent has taught children, you know, they're learning that you could get sick from things. So when they see a parent sick, then a typical fear is, am I going to get sick too? So you want to reassure children that they can't catch it, at least in most of the cases they can't. It certainly is different in some diseases, and we do address that too. But but in most cases with these chronic illnesses or serious illnesses, it's it's not something children can catch. And if that's the case, you want to reassure children of that. And then the other worry that children have in that amazingly magical way that they think is, that somehow they're to blame, that they did something wrong, that it's their fault somehow. And and we really don't want children to go through their lives feeling responsible or guilty and and like they made a mistake and that's what caused this illness. So you really want to emphasize that too. And then ultimately in that list of things to tell children is most children want to know how they're going to be infected. That may sound a little selfish, you know, like the child only cares about himself, but Actually, healthy children care mostly about themselves. That's yeah. what they do at that age, at young ages. And that's how they grow up to be good, healthy people is they, they learn to care about themselves and then and then they transfer that ability to care to others. So, so you want children to be concerned about what's going to affect their lives and you want to make sure you fill them in on that. So those are the those are kind of the the first steps, the cues for the first steps in helping children. And but the important part of maybe of all of that and the reason that we include this in this first chapter is that children in different developmental levels obviously understand differently and have different needs to some extent. So so it is really important to look at what you're going to do with your toddler versus what you're going to do with your young school age child versus what you're going to do with your, you know, independent, I can handle anything, 15-year-old. And and so we talk about the developmental needs in, in this chapter of each of the ages. So, again, a parent can adjust their information, the way that they give it, the expectations that they have for their child. They can adjust them to the age of the child. Okay. Um, we are getting ready to go to break, so hold that thought. Uh, so, so I listen to Wellness Home. 
listening to my colleagues here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, we built back Kathy McHugh, author of How to Help the Parents Experience Building, uh, supportive, practical advice, seeking child life. Please follow me. Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures. Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies for an initial consultation. Alternative Medicine Therapies offers a holistic approach to preventive care, unlike conventional medicine that tries to correct the illness that exists instead of preventing it altogether. Don't let anyone tell you that your situation is hopeless. Alternative Medicine Therapies like Iridology, Kinesiology, Reflexology, Energy Medicine, which includes Chi Life Therapy, Acupressure, and Psychological Consultations, has an amazing track record of positive results. Why suffer when Alternative Medicine Therapies with Parthenia Izzard is here to help? Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies today for an initial consultation and visit their website at www.amtherapies.com. Or call 610-658-0135. Alternative Medicine Therapies. With me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Now remember my book, 101 Great Ways to Improve Your Health. You can purchase it on my site. Um, you know, nothing is more important than your health. But between the overburdened medical, uh, what do you call it, medical establishment, if you will, blaring crisis-driven health headlines, and our own hectic lives, Finding the information you and your family need can be next to impossible. We're here to help. We bring together 101 of the top minds in radically different branches of the healing professions to give you 101 simple, workable ways to attack disease, overcome unhealthy habits, and live your life to its healthiest potential. Follow the link on my home page. It's a beautiful blue book link. Okay, um, now we are back with Kathleen McHugh, author of How to Help Children Through a Parent's Serious Illness, uh, supportive practical advice from a leading child life specialist. Call 619-789-6835 to ask questions of my guest. Okay, you know, before we get too far, I, I, I wanted to thank you again for this book. I, I think too many people... Uh, minimize the seriousness of giving these little people uh, information because they may have something special they want to say to or something special they want to do for that parent who may have a terminal illness. And they are being robbed of the opportunity to do these things when we don't share the appropriate information. So anyway, I think think what you've done here is very, very, very special and very important. Okay, let's go on. <laughs> okay. And I, I love that you just said that, by the way, because I, I think a big part of what we're trying to do with these children is you can't, I mean, of course a parent wants to protect their children from sadness and worry and crisis in their lives, but but when you can't do that, when there is a, a crisis going on, when there is something involving a parent, then the best that you can do, the best thing that you can do is to help the child learn techniques for coping and for managing 
life crises that they're going to carry through the rest of their lives. That's not just going to apply to the parent's illness. It's going to apply to losing a job or having a relationship difficulty, all kinds of things later in life. So, so when you have the opportunity to give your child those lessons and let your child learn how to care for people, how to care for themselves, how to express themselves and communicate and feel good about themselves, all of those things are going to help the child in their later life. Most definitely. Okay, I think you were talking about the different developmental stages and how they should be handled, I guess, in these. And and we could do hours on that, of course, and and (laughs) there, there um, there are so many different needs at the different ages. But I think the book really tries to allow parents to flip to the page that they need. So they know they have an 8-year-old, and they know their 8-year-old is showing signs of worry or maybe signs of regression. And so they can go right to that area in the book, and they can find out kind of how to how to assess it on their own, and then if they need some additional help, who they can go to at each step. So, so it, it kind of directs the parent to be able to help their own child and to make some good decisions about whether they need to do more or they need to be firmer or they need to be more relaxed, what, you know, kind of what to do next. That's that's the whole idea. Well, now in Chapter 2, Getting It Together, um, well, you start out with boing, and you talk <laughs> about um, getting help from your children. So you, you want to um, sort of elucidate on that one for us. Sure. Well, the boing part is, do, do you remember Stretch Armstrong? <laughs> I'm not, not probably only a few people who are listening today are going to remember Stretch Armstrong, but he was one of those stretchy little figurines that you could pull in lots of directions. And at one point I had a parent say, that's what I feel like right now. I feel like my kids are pulling one way and my sick husband is pulling one way and the the the, the people we owe money to are pulling one way and, the, you know, and the volunteer work I do is pulling one way and my job is pulling up and I just I just think I'm going to get pulled into pieces at some point. I'm just going to explode because I can't really take any more and that's we want to acknowledge that that is a reality when you have a a sick family member especially if you're a parent and you have a sick spouse and and you're trying to help your children and your spouse and everybody else manage the illness. So so that the, the this chapter of the book really is about kind of what you need to do, the steps you need to take and 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 how you can um make your plans, lay your plans down and then and then go forward with kind of taking care of yourself and your children. And a big part of it is that once children do understand what's happening, then you can for the most part reason with them about the reason you're not going on vacation this year or the reason that you just can't come to that choir, you know, event that's going on for one particular child because you just absolutely have to be at the hospital with daddy. And and so when the children are kind of brought into that family information system and they understand what's happening, then they will be helpful and they will try their best and and it differs a little by age and by personality type of the child but but they'll be able to be of assistance to you it's making that step figuring out how to inform your children in an appropriate way that is most important okay i did sort of quickly get to chapter 2 was there anything else you wanted to share about chapter 1 <laughs> i'm sorry i i don't i don't it's okay i no i don't think so i think we're i think that's um Moving That's along pretty much okay. kind of what we cover in that first in that first chapter. Okay, good. Um, um, now in chapter three, early warnings. Now, what are you mm-hmm. what are you talking about here? 
So what what parents often ask us is, how do we know if our child is okay? And if you have a center like the one that we have, um, you, you know, you can ask someone to meet with the child and, and help you figure out if everything is going okay. But if you're a parent reading this book and trying to determine, okay, I've told my child about the diagnosis, how do I know that they're handling everything? I, I try to get them to ask me questions, and they don't ask any. And I try to get them to talk to me about it, and they won't really talk about it. They just say, I don't like to think about it, Mom, if they're old enough to make those comments. And and so this chapter really speaks to some specific ways through art, through play, through um, through different kinds of discussions that, that parents can um figure out if their children are all right. Subtle ways, indirect ways, not just the direct ways. You know, if if a little child is playing in a sandbox and burying every single thing and mm. saying it's dead and then digging it back up and then burying it again, something's on that child's mind. There's something going on that he's worried about and a parent can take that little moment of play and and try to open the door a little and try to see if the child has a question about what's going to happen or what the outcome is. Um, children always communicate their worries in some way. It just is this, this chapter helps parents identify how they're doing that communicating. Okay, now you talk about help and how to give it and how to where to get it. Yeah, right. The next chapter, and that's that's really the the steps. If a parent decides that a child does need some more assistance, those are the steps in in um, in figuring out kind of where to go and what to do. And and often, and I really want to stress this, often there's a lot that the parent can do, or the parent and the immediate family can do to help a child deal with, face, understand better whatever it is that's worrying them and perhaps causing changes in their in their behavior. So it it's the family. It's the, the parents, the children, maybe grandparents, maybe aunts and uncles if they're close and connected, who make that first circle of support. And and parents need to use those people. If they have them in their lives, they're lucky and they should use them if they can. And um Oops. Okay, it looks like I somehow or another the internet has dropped our guest. So hopefully she will call back in momentarily. Wellness, wholeness, and wisdom. Uh, hold on there. You are with me, Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures. Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies for an initial consultation. Alternative Medicine Therapies offers a holistic approach to preventive care, unlike conventional medicine that tries to correct the illness that exists instead of preventing it altogether. Don't let anyone tell you that your situation is hopeless. Alternative Medicine Therapies like Iridology, Kinesiology, Reflexology, Energy Medicine, which includes Chi Life Therapy, Acupressure, and Psychological Consultations, has an amazing track record of positive results. 
Why suffer when alternative medicine therapies with Parthenia Izzard is here to help? Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies today for an initial consultation and visit their website at www.amtherapies.com. Or call 610-658-0135. Alternative Medicine Therapies. Okay, we are back uh, with As you know, a second ago we were in the middle of a conversation, and I'm hoping that this person who's showing up on my studio um, page here, Switchboard, is Kathleen. Kathleen, it is that me. you? <laughs> okay, well, Sorry, I'm glad I glad that worked. <laughs> I don't, we're having a bit of a storm here in Ohio. I don't know if that <sighs> cut the line out or what, but um, okay. perhaps. Could very well be, but I'm glad we did that very quickly and very smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Okay, do you remember? And we're talking about how to get help. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the, the telephone is a great, great method. No, and it is actually. But, but so the family is the first. The family and the immediate friends, the people that are really close to to the family, are the people to start with. And. Often, for example, say you have a teenager and your teenager, since a diagnosis of an illness, has gotten very moody and very um, non-responsive. And you know how teenagers can be. You say, oh, do you want to talk about this? No. And they shrug their shoulders and they turn away and they put their headphones back on. And and so, you know, maybe they do need to not talk to their parent. But is there someone else in the family's life, uh, an aunt or uncle that's really close to that kid, even the parent of a friend of that child who you know the child feels close to, a, a coach in a sports event, sports team that the child belongs to, is there someone else who can take that kid aside and say, hey, it looks like you're having a tough time. What's going on? You know, do you need some help? Do you need someone to talk to? It's Use all the resources you have. You know, so many people who have illnesses see themselves and are very independent people, and they hate to reach out to people to get help, but this is the time to. This is the time to let others step in and help you a bit. Most definitely. Now, before we go much uh, further along here, could you share your web address and any other contact information you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. The, the easiest way to to um, get – now, I work in a center that supports individuals with cancer, so that's my focus and specialty right now. Um, but anybody could certainly go to this website and you could actually email me directly from the website. And our website at our organization is www.touchedbycancer.org. And that can be, you can open that website and there's a place to communicate with any of the staff and you'll see my picture and you can address something directly to me if you'd like. All of that's a good way to reach me. Okay, again, that's www.touchedbycancer.org. Okay, very good. Uh, are there any upcoming book signings or events, workshops, or things of that nature that you'd like our listeners to know about? Not, you know, there are uh, some other um, some other discussion events, but the only book signings that we're doing right now are right here in Ohio. Ohio. Okay. Um, and my co and my co-author is, I think, doing a book signing in a couple of weeks in San Diego. Okay, so go to the website, folks. Order your copy of the book, and then you can at least be knowledgeable. And then uh, questions that come up, you can email Kathleen from her website. Now, right. let's see. 
How to? Okay, we've got that. Uh, the chapter five, the wonderful, mm-hmm. terrible internet. You sort of touched <laughs> on it a little bit already. Right, and that's the that's the new one. That's that's really helping parents. I mean, I come from the generation before the internet, and I think many people who are out there who have children are just on the edge of it, probably a little closer to it than I am. But um, but that that's the new method of communicating in this world, and not just going on websites, but all of the additional social networking opportunities that children have. So it does, it's very helpful to a parent if a parent, first of all, a parent should be checking their kids' Facebook pages and checking what they post on Twitter and all of that sort of thing. I mean, that's part of a parent's responsibility. And um, and if something comes up on one of those sites that the child says that they haven't communicated to you, it's perfectly okay for you to go to that child and say, hey, I was looking at your Facebook page and I saw you saying that you were really sad or that you know, you're not going to the dance because you're going to stay home and be with me or whatever the parent sees. And I want to talk to you about that. We need to talk about that because that's not how I want your life to be. So so using those sites as a method of communicating is really important. I don't, I mean, I've started texting because the teenage clients that I see, they don't communicate with me on the phone anymore. They communicate through text. So now they have my the cell phone that's just for my professional life, and that's the phone that I text kids back and forth on. So it's it's a different world, and I think that's that all is really important. The good parts about that world are that there are lots of incredibly reputable websites that are so helpful to people in finding assistance. And there are even sites like... Um, Caring Bridges or Care Pages oh, that, yes. that allow families to set up their own web page. And that means instead of sitting on the telephone for hours a day mm-hmm. filling people in on the medical status, you can just type it onto your website and everybody that's in your life that you choose to have read it can go and read it there. It's so time efficient and it's so much easier for someone to do it that way than to repeat themselves over and over and over again on the telephone. Yeah, no, that's that's critical. We've had representatives from Care Pages on the program before, and yes, that's quite a help. Um, oh, okay. Preparing children for hospital visits. This this, uh, this is yeah, this is one of my favorite chapters because I think it's something that people don't think about very much, and there are really two types of hospital visits. There's the routine. Mom or dad are in the hospital, and you're allowed to go see them, so we're going to make a trip out there. And there's nothing maybe really major going on. The parent's going to look a little different. They probably have pajamas on or hospital gown. They may have IVs or something like that. But but it's pretty easy to talk to children about that and help them understand. The important thing is children, like adults, have lots of feelings about hospitals. I see children who say, I hate hospitals. I don't want to go to a hospital. I I can't stand to see my mom in the hospital. And that needs to be really respected. It is okay if the child feels that way, and they need to be supported in that if at all possible. Now, it gets to be difficult when mom really, really wants to see her daughter, and the daughter who's 11 says, I can't stand going to the hospital and seeing my mom like that. And that's something that somebody a, a grandparent or the dad is going to have to negotiate between those two people but and there are alternatives if a child doesn't want to go a child can 
you know, make a little videotape on their on their tablet that they have now and send that with dad to the hospital so they can talk to mom. They can Skype back and forth. I mean, there are lots of, again, the Internet has given us lots of opportunities for communication that perhaps weren't there before. So, so there's all kinds of ways to handle the routine hospital visit. The difficult one, and any of you out there listening who have ever been here know how hard this is, is when someone is in the hospital and they are very, very sick, perhaps in an intensive care unit or a unit of that level. And that is so hard because, of course, we don't want to expose our children to those kinds of stimuli. It's very overwhelming and frightening. On the other hand, how about if the child is just desperate to go? They're, they're not believing their, their parent is alive. They are afraid people aren't telling them the truth. It's been a really long time since they've seen the parent. There are lots of reasons a child may have a huge need to go. And the most important thing for people to know when they're in that situation is the child has to be carefully prepared across the sensory continuum for what they're going to experience, how the hospital's going to look, sound, smell, who they might see, how they can handle if they see something that they don't feel comfortable with, what they should do then, so that you really get the child ready in as many ways as you can to know what they expect know what to expect because when a child knows what to expect in a situation they handle it so much better they get their anxiety out earlier and they can just step into that situation and and do it so that's part of it the other part of it is you don't want a child sitting around and spending hours in an intensive care unit so the visit when you do decide to take a child to a high-risk unit or high-intensity unit, the visit should be very carefully choreographed. It should be short and to the point and about the child. That's not the time to have a long wait for a doctor to come. If, the, if a, one parent who's a healthy parent is, is waiting to talk to a physician, there should be someone else to take that child home after a short visit with the parent who's sick so that so that you really are focusing on making this particular visit for the child as positive and successful as possible and then removing them from that environment. And and one way to help it be successful is for the child to be able to do something special for the parent. Children love the opportunity to draw a picture or decorate a photograph or write a letter or a card and take that with them and see it posted up on the wall or the bulletin board of the sick parent. Even when a parent is really, really sick, Someone can assure the child, you know, when your mom has times that she's a little bit awake and she turns her head that way, she's going to see your picture. She's going to see the painting that you did, and it's going to make her feel good. So good for you for doing it. That's going to give the child such a boost of of, of um, confidence and, and success at being able to help in a situation that there's so little they can do about. Well, the time flashed by so fast. I didn't get to touch on Emily's hero, but um, wonderful. Did you read that chapter? Yes. Uh, And I wanted. Well, at this point, I I need to ask you for your final words of wisdom uh, that you would like to share with our listeners. Thank you. I just want everyone out there to realize that when there is a serious illness in the family or an injury or any kind of serious family disruption, that if you are honest with your children 
include them, respect them, then they will turn around and respect you and follow the rules and do what you need them to do, and they will grow up to be undamaged, healthy people who have handled a real serious crisis. And then you're parenting at the very best level that anyone can parent. Wonderful. Thank you so much for this evening, and um, I look forward to your next book and having you back. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Okay. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, folks. Now it's time for our herb of the day. Tonight's herb is wild cherry. Now, is also called the third, and they say that the parts the distance are the inner bark and bark. Big acid, uh, tercetin, tannin, folic acid, some of the nutrients include calcium, iron, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, and zinc. Now, it acts as expected and mild sedative, cough, cold, bronchitis, asthma, digestive disorders, and diarrhea. Now, um, they have additional comments here that, um, let me see. It's also called called choke cherry, wild black cherry, and Virginia prune. Uh, they caution that wild cherry bark should not be used during pregnancy. Also, the leaf, bark, and fruit pits can contain hydrocyanic cyanic acid, which can be poisonous. A commercially prepared syrup or tincture is best. Okay, and now it's time for our Yoga sauna. Yurasana. And for these, I use Iyengar's book, The Iyengar Way. Now, um, for this uh, for this posture, you sit in Virasana with the hands on or behind the seat. You move the buttock bones slightly forward, lean back, place the elbows on the ground, and lower the trunk onto the floor. You stretch the arms over the head and lengthen the trunk. Press the thighs and knees down and keep the knees together without straining them. Stay for 30 seconds or longer, up to 20 minutes. Breathe evenly. Inhale, come up, bend forward in Virasana. Now, um, I also like to share information from Shah, Dr. J.T. Shah, who has a book about therapeutic yoga. And for this posture, he says the benefits are that it expands chest, lungs, tones heart and organs, reduces congestion in pelvic organs, strengthens and tones the spine, quietens the mind, loosens ankle, knee, hip, and shoulder joints, tones adrenals, islets of langerins, and gonads, reduces fat around thighs and calves. All right. um, You have been listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard, here on Blog Talk. Uh, now, uh, let me see. Next story, 